Welcome to Reconnect with Plant Wisdom. I'm your host, Tigrila Gardenia, nature-inspired mentor and leadership coach. In this podcast, I share ancient and modern knowledge from biology to spirituality about the wondrous ways in which plants can help you lead a naturally conscious life. Today, we are going to talk about the 0.01%. Not the 1%. Well, we are going to talk about the 1% too, but we're mainly going to talk about the 0.01%. Um, so you may know that I have a master's degree, a very unusual master's degree called Futuro Vegetale, Vegetal Future. It is plants, social innovation, and designed from the University of Florence. And it was spearheaded and created by two professors, Leonardo Chiesi, who is a professor of sociology in the built environment, so in the School of Architecture, and he teaches at the University of Florence, as well as the University of California, Berkeley. And the other one by Professor Stefano Mancuso. Now, Mancuso, you might have heard, he is a botanist. He runs what is called the Laboratorio Internazionale per Neurobiologia Vegetale. So it is the International Laboratory for Vegetal or Plant Neurobiology. And uh, Mancuso is pretty well known. He's in Italy. He's sort of a, a form of a pop star in some aspects because he has written many, many books around the intelligence of plants and the importance of plants. And he also tends to be very controversial, pushing the cutting edge, especially when it comes to the idea of plant consciousness and of recognition of plants. Um, in the built environment and recognizing plants for their intelligence and their consciousness and so many other things. So way back when I did, well, way back, actually, I only did my master's degree a few years ago because I was part of the first graduating class. It was so much fun. It was such a great group. Um, Really, really enjoyed my time in Florence. Love, love, love Florence. Um, But as I sat in class, I remember one of the lectures that Professor Mancuso does he has his famous, at the time it was the 99% slide. Now, if you've ever seen one of his his presentations, you've probably seen this slide. I bet you it's been updated since then with new numbers, which I'm going to give you. But this is the one where he talks about the fact that at the time, 99.7% of the biomass of our planet was made of plants. Now, Um, he's not the only one to talk about this, the fact that really the majority of our planet is made up of plants. Now, the numbers have slightly changed. In 2019, Nature published an article that stated that plants are the most dominant life form on Earth, accounting for 82% of all of planet's biomass. 99% when Mancuso first talked about it, 82% now. I just want that to sink in because that's one piece of what we're going to be talking about today, but just that that complete shrinkage of the biomass of the planet. Um, but so 80 to, 82% of all the planet's biomass is plants, and then that followed by bacteria contributing to about 13%, and the remaining 5% includes fungi, insects, fish, and mammals, 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 all mammals. So of those statistics, humans make up 0.01% of the biomass of the planet. Plants, 82%, some could say as high as 85%. Humans, 0.01. I just want you to let that sink in because it's a really important aspect of what I'm gonna talk about. Now, in the year 2020, the anthropogenic mass, so i.e. The, man, the human-made mass, like mass that we create, garbage, pollutants, stuff that we create, will surpass all global living 
biomass. In 2020, it actually surpassed all global living biomass. So that means that the amount of crap that we have created, and I say crap because it's not all crap, that's probably not even a fair statement, but a large chunk of it is our garbage included in that. Um, so it's not just, you know, the buildings and all the other things that we've created it is also the crap anyway. So, so we have to think 82% of the biomass of the planet is plants. 0.01% is humans. Everything about that means that 4.09% is animals, fish and insects. And then 5% of that, like, and then the rest of it is between bacteria and fungi. That's pretty significant. I mean, even fungi completely outnumbers us. So Mancuso goes a step further when he does this presentation and he asks a question. Why is it, this is his question, why is it that when we talk about the end of the world, we don't realize that we are only talking about the end of humans on this planet? Can we be so blind? And Kuzo's words, can we be so blind to the plant world that we don't realize that kin were here long before humans arrived? And that unless we blow the planet up, kin will be here long after we are gone. So the first time I heard his presentation, I had to like let that sink in. It's like, oh, of course, that makes perfect sense. He also has this whole Noah's Ark perspective, which is really fascinating. One day I'll, I'll tell you about that too. But the the last time I heard him talk about this, I started to think about the 1%. Now, you know, who are the 1%? We talk about the 1% all the time, or at least we used to. I think there's a little bit less talk about the 1% now, but because there's so many other things going on, but it is an important one. The Economist states that the average household income of the 1% was 1.2 million in 2008. So $1.2 million, okay, US dollars, according to the US federal tax data. Forbes, on the other hand, concluded that on a national basis in 2013, so we go from 2008, it was the 1% was about 1.2 million, right? That was the average income in order for you to be a part of this. On a national basis in 2013, you needed a minimum household income of about 390,000 in order to join the club of the one percenters. But the threshold is a lot higher in certain localities. So it really depends on where it is that you're living. Basically, the richest 1% of families control a record high 38.6% of the United States wealth in 2016. This is according to the US Federal Reserve report. And with wealth, in most cases, as we know, comes power. So this means that the top 1% hold a significant concentration of influence, resources, access, information, economics, like all of these aspects are what is controlled by the 1%. When you have so much concentrated uh, power in such a small percentage, it's inevitable that those that like are in that group see things with a very similar lens, right? So they created a distorted view of the full context of any issue because they are seeing it through this lens and they're categorizing themselves through this lens. It's like having a conversation about dogs with a biologist and a sociologist, right? One will talk about the dogs from the perspective of behavior and the other one will talk about the physical characteristics of the dog. Each one of them is correct, but they are only expressing through a specific lens. Therefore, if I only talk to the biologist or if I only talk to the sociologist, I only think about plant characteristics or I only think about plant, I mean plants, excuse me, 
see where my head is, dog behavior or dog <laughs> or dog characteristics. So let's compare this for a moment to your Google search feed. Just to give an idea, the algorithms are based on two major things, your preferences, which are determined by your cookies, your browser history, where you've been, who you've seen, some say who you've talked around, etc. And the second part is human programming. So this seems, means that you see via Google, what you see via Google, what Google wants you to see, whatever it is. And whatever many expert employee, like behavioral experts, whatever that they employ, what they want you to see. Believe it or not, you know, you will get a certain response. So regardless of what you think you want. Now, this isn't always bad, right? Because the whole reason sometimes we go to Google is because I can put in some partial parameters and get out an answer that is probably what I thought, what I was looking for. Because Google gets pretty good at interpreting what it is that I want. Because the more I put in things that I want, the more Google gets to know who I am. And we being humans are creatures of habit. The problem with all of this is when we think we're finding absolute truth. Okay, so we think we're going to Google to get a general perspective of everything that's on the internet. Google is filtering all of that. Remember when we had in a previous episode talking about our conditioning? Not only are we conditioned, but we condition the things that we work with, especially anything that is algorithm based. So we think we're finding truth because we're searching into the whole internet. All, but all the results, all the results that Google actually shows us reinforce our desired results. It's not that Google says, here are a hundred results that match what you want and potentially what it is that you want. And we're going to show you a lot of diversity around the parameters of the question you asked for. It's not Google's job to broaden your thinking. It's there to show you exactly what it is that you want and only what you want, which means it's giving you a very tiny sliver, very personalized version of the reality. In short, you're only seeing what you have trained Google to show you in order to ensure that you always come back. And that means you're reinforcing your own thoughts. Now, why does any of this matter? Why am I talking about the 1%? Why am I talking about this when this is a podcast and you know all about plants? So where, where are we going with this? Now, here it is. Here's, here's where I'm going. Remember going back, we said we as humans are 0.01% of the planet, except one problem. We're acting exactly like the 1% when it comes to our relationship with the plant world, which is the global mass biomass bio of our planet. In other words, 82% is the plants, 0.01% is humans, yet we are treating plants exactly the same way as we think that the 1% is treating those of us that are not part of the 1%. You see where, where, where this, this is going? Plant blindness, which we know is the habituation of the presence of plants so strong that we don't even realize that King are there or appreciate anything that Kin does for us or the sacrifices that Kin do in order to ensure our survival. It prevents us from seeing how our plant blindness basically prevents us from seeing how our actions affect plants. But before we go on, I wanna share one of our ego-conscious business partners.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. You have to do it at least once a week, sometimes more if you have kids. I'm talking about laundry. Did you know that thousands of detergent jugs end up adding to Earth's growing plastic epidemic because oftentimes they get rejected from recycling centers? That's why I'm so grateful for True Earth. Finally, a plastic-free laundry detergent that is as sensitive to your skin as it is to the environment. No more goo on your hands, one less plastic jug, and millions of EcoStrips donated to those in need with every subscription. Click on the show notes to save space with these handy strips that are just as good as your traditional detergent. You won't be disappointed. Give it a try. So we're 0.01% acting like the 1% when it comes to plants. And if you don't see the consequences of your action, you can't not, you can't not consciously choose whether or not you want to engage in those actions. You basically act blindly in the hope that it doesn't hurt anyone. But ultimately, it is. We are so focused on human needs, on human problems, on human concerns, on human desires, that we do not even realize the impact we have in the world around us, which is exactly what many of us complain that the 1% is doing. Look, of course, we can find examples of individuals in the 1% that have no regard for anyone but themselves but that exists in every, and that, that, how do I say this? Hold on, give me a second. Let me think about this. We can find examples in the 1% that have no regard for anyone but themselves, okay? Who are completely egotistical, who are only looking at their needs, who are so concentrated on what's happening to them, and it's reinforcing over and over again because they're inside of this small bracket. But the truth of the matter is we can find this in any income bracket, right? Any income bracket is so concentrated, especially when you live in survival and anxiety. If you're in that fear-based survival mode, no matter how much money you have, you're going to be acting pretty much the same thing. Okay, so it's not really a matter of whether or not you're in that 1% because the example is we're in the 0.01%, the complete minority on the planet, and yet we're doing the exact same thing. When we talk about plants, we're usually talking about plants as commodities, not as persons, not as persons that could have their own rights and their own thought process. So if you're listening to this, you're probably consider, you're probably uh, what, you know, somebody who's pretty much in touch with nature, right? You buy organic food, you communicate with trees, but have you ever stopped to think about how that store-bought plant in your house grew up? Like, was key given pesticides grown in a monoculture with rows of treated flowers? I'm not talking about your food. I'm talking about your house plants. I'm talking about the flowers. Did you ever think that that particular plant was chosen for their beauty while the ugly sibling was probably composted? Because, you know, you don't sell the ugly sibling. When you go into a nursery, no matter what time of year, everybody's in bloom. Have you ever asked how that 
happens? The answer is hormones. Just so you know. And what about those flowers that you have sitting on your table? Like, did you stop and think about cutting them from the parent? Like for your own personal enjoyment? Books, signs, cardboard, all made from what? Paper. Mm, and paper is made from? Trees? Yep. Now you know where I'm going. Every time we write something down, we are killing a tree in the process. Is that good? Is that bad? Maybe. It could be either one. It really depends on your awareness and the relationship of what's happening. So where am I going with all this? You can tell that this is a topic that I think about often, right? I said to you last episode that I was really going to start getting into some of these difficult conversations. And I really want this to be a conversation right now. I'm sharing my thoughts, but I want you to be able to respond. I want to hear what you have to think. This is something I really think about because I think we need to become much more aware of the impact we have on our planet. I know that I myself am part of the 0.01%. I know that my actions have a profound effect on the plant world. What I don't know yet is what actions are acceptable. I have to ask myself that question every single day, multiple times a day, which are destructive to the harmony that I so desperately want to create, which instead are keeping us in a state of unrest and of uncomfortableness and which ones are are contributing to a shift in the paradigm and what we're talking about. I can't just wake up one day and stop exerting all of my will on plants. It's not possible, even if I want to. So don't beat yourself up about the things that I'm saying. I myself know and am conscious of when I make mistakes and sometimes I'm not conscious of them, right? I sometimes finish the end of the day and think back to myself and go, Oh my goodness, when I did that, I never even considered the desire of the plants. When I go to buy a bag of chips or I, I don't know, buy some really cute clothing that I just found, right? I don't always sit there and be like, how do I find, and, and sometimes it's not even possible. What do I do? How do I find out about these things? But what I know is that as an ecologist, as a plant lover, as whatever title implies that I believe I want the plant world to be equal to me, it's only sort of half truth because today I am still as a human being, not in a position. I am still part of the 0.101%, which means I am trapped inside of my personified, my personalized view, excuse me, personalized view that hides what is really out there from me and doesn't always have the tools or the experience to be able to shift the paradigm into something new. This is the reason why I work so much with plants. This is the reason why I work so much with art, why I look for alternative means of communication, because our language, our, our consumerish choices, our way of eating, it still doesn't even allow for a true, complete shift. As Richard Lapierre's landmark article, Altitudes and Attitudes and Actions said, this was a 1934 article, right? So we're talking about old stuff, showed quite clearly that there is a disconnect between what we believe and how we act. And when it comes to the plant world, 
Plant blindness accentuates this disparity. We use plants in everything from medicine to clothing. So to establish new relationships based on mutual recognition would require, I don't know, an entire redefinition of the very nature of these relationships with objects and materials that they're made of. So can you think about it right now? Could you even picture what it would be like to create a new relationship with your clothing or more importantly, with who creates your clothing? I mean, these are the relationships that have been stratified over time, year after year, ingrained to the very fabric of our societies. How do you go to change that? And, and what to, like, do we even have any kinds of models that make sense, right? When, when I get a beautiful piece of artwork that is made out of pressed flowers, like I actually have on my wall, beautiful, I love it. But a plant gave their life in order to create that. Is that a, a, a creation, a co-creation? Did that plant willingly work with the artist? In some cases, I can emphatically say, yes, I know artists that are having those conversations that are going out into the wilderness that are that are exploring their landscape and they're conversing with plants and they are bringing into the conversation the plant and they are only taking when the plant wants them to take but i know plenty of artists who love plants i was just listening to an amazing podcast the other day where this artist was talking about working and creating dyes and all these different aspects and plants but never once in the conversation did i hear her say i never took that plant in that particular instance because that plant told me no she might have had all kinds of different considerations and i'm not saying that that person is a bad person i'm just saying that it's still not part of our vernacular so the only thing i can do is take responsibility for my own blindness right and i can look for ways to bring my thoughts and actions into alignment i can start by doing my best to acknowledge that the plants that gave their lives in order for me to have everything that i have around me deserve to be honored i can think about the chair under my legs you know and i could say what parts was a plant involved in and be have gratitude i could think about when i go out or when i purchase something trying to connect to some essence of the original plant that was there and looking for brands that i know are working with the plant world in a different way. That's the best I can do right now. But in some cases, honestly, I can't do any of that because none of that really still exists, right? So the through my actions, there's a little piece that I can start to shift. So I start to act like the 0.01% that I actually am rather than behaving kind of like the economic 1% and enforcing my will over the 82% plus all the bacteria and the fungi, because it's not like they don't count either, but I instill my will over all of these others. So my goal really is to unlock this 
kind of probably secret door within me that leads to an understanding of what E.O. Wilson calls biophilia, right? That inherent love of life. I want to step deeper into it. I want to have such a deep and rich vocabulary with this that what I'm hoping will happen is that innately I start to change. My relationship starts to change and I start to bring these changes deeper into the world. I start to step further into this in a way that is an example for others. I start to connect with others that are doing it and learn and expand and enhance my perceptions so that that blindness becomes an awareness. And I want to take that awareness to all the rest of the 0.01%, right? To really expand on that conscious giving and taking, that reciprocity between two life forms that is hopefully will happen without a hierarchy. So by now you know that the 0.1% is probably you, right? You are the 0.01%. The question is, what are you gonna do about it? I wanna hear your ideas in the naturally conscious community. This problem, this plant blindness is so pervasive, it runs so deep that the only way we are going to shift the paradigm is if we continue to work together. So shoot me your best idea, send me a message, send me an email, send me whatever it is that you want to communicate with me, but send me your thoughts and let's have a conversation about what it means to be part of the 0.01% that is in harmony with all the other 99.09% of the planet. Let's work together to change this paradigm. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and uh, I look forward to getting your feedback. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconnect with Plant Wisdom. Intro and outro music by Steve Shuley and Poinsetta from The Singing Life of Plants. So join me, Tigrila Gardenia, and my plant collaborators next time on Reconnect with Plant Wisdom.